Thanks for listening to Worship Local. In today's episode, we are exploring Field Notes. Field Notes is a new series for our podcast where we explore the lives of Christians and how they beautifully and joyfully integrate the spiritual practices into their own daily lives. To do this, we'll explore the field notes of biblical characters, Christians throughout history, and even the lives of our own church members to help us see that the spiritual practices are possible. Today, we'll explore the field notes of Moses, the Old Testament hero whose presence dominates the pages of the Bible, especially the book of Exodus. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope that this podcast helps you worship local. Okay, guys, so in this episode of Field Notes, I kind of want to give us an overview of how we actually see the five spiritual practices at work in the life of Moses in the book of Exodus. And this uh, this idea, it came to me in, it kind of came to me in throughout three pieces over this last week. Here's the first piece. It's been a few months since our Spiritual Practices Sermon Series, and I really don't want our church to lose sight of Scripture, Solitude, Sabbath, Self-Denial, and the Seasons as the, as the primary OS of the life of faith, or, or the primary operating system of the life of faith. If you remember that sermon series, you remember me saying that I, I really didn't want to do that sermon series and then go on to the next thing and forget all about the spiritual disciplines. Here's... The second piece that influenced Field Notes. It's been over a year since our sermon series on Exodus ended, and during those 40 weeks in that book, I feel like I really got to know Moses really well. And I really enjoyed his company and his presence as a friend in my life. And so I miss him. I miss Moses. That's the second piece that went into this. But here's the third piece. If you've been following along with our scripture reading plan this year as a church, we are right in the middle of the book of Exodus. Quick side note, if you're not following along with our reading plan and you want to, just jump in today. Download the app. It's called Read Scripture. And just start with us in today's reading. You'll barely be behind. But as Chloe and I have been reading along with the scripture reading plan and reading through the book of Exodus I've been seeing those two sermon series coming together, our sermon series on the spiritual practices and our sermon series on the book of Exodus. And all of a sudden, I'm beginning to see how Moses integrated our five spiritual practices into his life. It's, it's been riveting because it's been riveting because sometimes we think of Moses's spirituality as being a given, just because he's an Old Testament hero who has been given divine superpowers. But when you read Exodus, that's just not true. If you look carefully at the life of Moses, you'll begin to notice that his spiritual power is the result of the grace of God and the practice of spiritual disciplines. So follow me in these next 30 minutes or so, and I want to show you exactly that. By the end of this episode, my hope is that you see how our five spiritual practices, scripture, solitude, Sabbath, 
self-denial, the seasons, how these five spiritual practices, is it's not a novel blueprint for spirituality, but it's a type of timeless spirituality that stretches all the way back to the character of Moses. So in just a moment, let's meet the man, the myth, and the legend, Moses himself. A good starting point is the end of Moses' life. The Old Testament prophet Moses is an awesome example of how to die well and how to die hard as a godly man or a godly woman. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, Moses is 120 years old. 120. <laughs> Um, no doubt his face is covered in wrinkles. No doubt his skin is weathered and roughed up by leading God's people through the wilderness with little shelter. No doubt there's now a limp in his step. No doubt his posture is hunched over from years and years of ministering to God's people. His nerves, by the time he's 120, must be a little fried from absorbing so much complaining from the people of God over the years. And in his final days, Moses dies faithfully at 120 years old. Moses is 120 years old in Deuteronomy 33, and somehow, I don't, I don't know how, somehow, he is not jaded, he is not cynical about the power of God to transform people at 120. And believe me, Moses has all the reasons and more to be jaded and cynical about God. In Moses' lifetime, he has seen God gloriously redeem his people out of the hand of Egypt through 10 plagues. And he has also seen these very people promptly build a golden calf to a rival god. How, oh how, does Moses not give up on a life of faith? Moses has seen God miraculously provide manna from the heavens. And he has seen the very recipients of this food turn their backs on God and grumble in the next paragraph. How does he not become jaded and, and cynical? And in the final days of his life, despite all of these experiences, Moses preaches blessings upon each of the leaders and tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy 32 and 33, reminding them of God's ongoing provision for them, his love for them, and his desire for continued faithfulness from Israel. And after preaching those blessings... With God on his lips, and God on his mind, and God on his heart, Moses ascends to the top of a mountain, gazes upon the promised land, and then he croaks and dies. So here's a question. How do you finish well like that as a believer? How do we as a church finish well? Because believe it or not, the Moses that we meet in the beginning of Exodus is a fundamentally different character than the Moses who dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Right? Moses 
Moses didn't spring out of the womb like Superman springs out of the telephone booth, like some sort of hero of the faith right from the gates. When we meet Moses in the book of Exodus, Moses is, Moses is, he's a, he's a hot mess. He spent most of his life, his early life, worshiping in Egypt's cult of Pharaoh. So his worship is wrong. He's committed murder of an Egyptian, so his ethics are wrong. And he spent the majority of his life fleeing into the wilderness like a refugee, so his way of life is wrong. Moses has a a horrible track record when we meet him in the book of Exodus. And when God does reveal himself to Moses and call him to the task of freeing Israel from slavery in Egypt, Moses says, no, find someone else to do it. Moses wasn't a natural. There aren't any naturals in spirituality. The Bible says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, and there is no good, not one. So, if Moses isn't just born a spiritual superstar, then how does the Moses we meet at the beginning of the book of Exodus become the Moses who dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy? How does that transformation take place? And the short answer is that he devotes his life to five practices, scripture, solitude, Sabbath, self-denial, and the seasons. And in a moment, we'll take a look at each of these. So Moses' life from Exodus to Deuteronomy follows a pattern, uh, a blueprint. Particularly, Moses' life was devoted to five practices, scripture, solitude, Sabbath, self-denial, and and the seasons. Let's explore each of these individually and check them out and see what they look like within the context of Moses' life. First, Moses was devoted to scripture. It was Moses who brought the words of the Lord, the Ten Commandments, down from Mount Sinai and placed them in the Ark of the Covenant so that Scripture would be central to the life of Israel. This this was a huge moment that really illustrated the centrality of the Scriptures in the people of God through the, the leadership of the life of Moses. In fact, this entire episode at Mount Sinai which you can read about in Exodus 19. If you're doing the the scripture reading plan, then you did read about this a couple days ago. This, This episode at Mount Sinai creates the proper context for understanding the importance of the scriptures. Because when God gives Moses these commandments on the tablets, it's on top of a mountain that is covered in thick black smoke and and it's just cinematic, right? There's an ominous trumpet that's blasting in the background. There's bone-rattling thunder and lightning, and the glory of God has descended upon the mountain in the form of flaming fire. Um, John Calvin suggests that God creates this entire atmosphere at Mount Sinai for the explicit purpose that God's people would rightly understand the weightiness of God's word. So, I would say that when we open our Bibles up, we should feel 
the ground shake and tremble beneath our feet. So it's Moses' leadership that ultimately places the scriptures at the center of Israel's life. He brings these commandments down from Sinai, and he places them in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to be placed in the tabernacle and the temple. And and the tabernacle and temple, are it's going to be the center of Israel's worshiping life. If you had been an Israelite in the Old Testament, the main contact the main point of contact that you would make with the scriptures would be on the Sabbath day with the worshiping community. So on Sabbath, the way this would look and feel is the worship leader would begin the worship service by parading the ark where the scriptures were stored. He would parade the ark into the people of God and he would would parade it around the congregation. And in response to it, the congregation would dance and sing. Can you imagine this atmosphere? And then, after parading the ark around, the local priest would remove the scrolls from the ark and then publicly read the scriptures. And following the public reading of the scriptures, people would begin to ask questions and debate with one another and engage in deep conversation and sharpen one another. What do you think this line meant from the scriptures? Well, what, what do you think that part meant? What does this word mean? The centrality of the scriptures in the life of the believer is something handed down to us because Moses placed the commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. And this is why scripture is one of our five spiritual practices as a local church. But second, Moses was also devoted to the practice of solitude. It was in the wilderness, in the desert of solitude, that Moses had some of his most profound experiences with God. And this is, none of these experiences are are just a coincidence. It's in the wilderness, in solitude, that God reveals himself initially to Moses in the burning bush. Moses is out shepherding his flock. He's alone with his own thoughts and prayers. If Moses were Habakkuk, this would be Moses' watchtower moment where he's away from the hustle and the bustle of life. And it's in this moment when he encounters Yahweh in the burning bush. Likewise, the Mount Sinai moment also happens out in the wilderness. That's why there's going to be this tradition of solitude that's going to develop in the life of the prophets throughout the scriptures. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's vision is going to begin with him by a river experiencing solitude, probably meditating on the surface of the river, contemplating the reality of God, asking God to meet him in prayer. And that's when we get Ezekiel's famous vision of God on the throne. This tradition continues even throughout the New Testament. Right away, when Jesus begins his ministry, the Spirit leads him where? The Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, into solitude, away from the city, to be alone with God and to gain the spiritual strength necessary to defeating and overthrowing the enemy. So it's no wonder that when you read the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy, it seems like Moses has a discipline of solitude in his life that he regularly schedules out. And this is why solitude is one of our five spiritual practices. But 
Third, Moses is also devoted to the Sabbath. For Moses, the practice of the Sabbath was not something that would be nice at the end of the week if Moses had some leftover time for him to be able to kick his feet up on the couch and just veg. That is not the way that Moses conceptualizes Sabbath. For Moses, Sabbath is a matter of obeying God or disobeying God. He saw the commandment to Sabbath chiseled out on a tablet of stone as a definitive commandment with a period at the end of this statement. And God doesn't say, please. He commands it. And this is why Moses leads the people of Israel into a beautiful practice of Sabbath. When they're wandering out in the wilderness, his leadership over the people of God is outstanding in this regard. He encourages the Israelites to gather twice as much food on Saturdays in the wilderness so that they don't have to gather any on the Lord's Day, right? He's, he's saying, get your groceries done the day before Sabbath so that Sabbath can be truly restful. Moses pastors them to plan ahead, to work hard so that their Sabbath can be a reality for each individual and their family. So, in a real way, Moses was Israel's lead Sabbather. He was the lead Sabbather. He set the tone for practicing the Sabbath. He set the example for practicing the Sabbath. He pastored people to practice the Sabbath. And that's why Sabbath is one of Frontier Church's five spiritual practices. And fourth, Moses was devoted to the practice of self-denial. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, his incredible encounter with the God who speaks in thunder and lightning, it came through his clarity where Moses fasted for 40 days on Mount Sinai. I, I think... Um, I think, and this is speculation, I should have done my homework on this, and I didn't, so somebody at Frontier might correct me on this, but I think this is the first time in the scriptures that the practice of fasting is mentioned. It's a significant moment, because in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 18 through 19, Moses is, he's, he's, he's talking to the Israelites, and he reminds them of his moment on Mount Sinai, and he says he went without food and drink for 40 days. And in this Bible verse, Moses goes on to attribute his fasting as the reason that led to God listening to Moses. Earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, Moses' 40-day fasting is presented more as a, a spiritual preparation to receive the law from God with a right mind and a right heart. Um, and we kind of see that play out because when Moses comes down from Sinai and discovers God's people at the bottom of the mountain worshiping a golden calf, Moses famously shatters the tablets of God's commandments out of anger and rage. That's, that's where we get that stupid dad joke. I don't know if you've ever heard this one. Who's the biggest lawbreaker in the Bible? Moses, because he broke all the laws when he shattered the tablets. You get it. You get it. That, that moment comes directly after Mount Sinai. And the spiritual intensity and uh, the spiritual sensitivity that Moses has in that moment, I think is the result of fasting and his encounter with God. He's deeply in touch with God because he has starved the flesh and fed his spirit. So, this 
practice of fasting is going to become a central practice in the spiritual lives of God's people throughout the rest of the Bible. Um, David, he's going to fast when he is saddened by his child's sickness. Elijah is going to fast when he's on the run. Esther, she's going to fast to save the Jewish people. Even the Ninevites fast when they hear about the possibility of God overthrowing Nineveh, and then they repent and fast. But most famously, Jesus fasts for 40 days in the wilderness when preparing for his ministry, just like Moses. So Moses didn't see his life of spirituality as only becoming the smartest guy in the room. Moses didn't see his life of spirituality as only becoming a living encyclopedia of facts about God. He practices self-denial for spiritual power and spiritual insight and spiritual sensitivity. And that's why self-denial is one of our five spiritual practices. And fifth, Moses was devoted to practicing the seasons. After experiencing the Passover earlier in Egypt in the book of Exodus, it's Moses who leads Israel to celebrate Passover every year. Consider consider the leadership significance of this decision by Moses. When this epic moment happens, when God strikes down the firstborns of all of Egypt to save his own people and he instructs them Israel to slaughter a lamb and to smear the blood over their doorposts, and then God will pass over their house in mercy and grace. Um, In this epic moment, as a leader, if you're Moses, you don't want your people to forget this theological truth. You want them to remember this moment because it's, it's central to our identity. It's central to the character of God. And to help them remember this moment and really get it, to capture lightning in a bottle, Moses doesn't merely catechize them. Okay, Israel, here's question number one. How can we be saved from God's wrath? Answer, by trusting in the blood of the lamb. I like catechisms, guys. I'm just, I'm just saying that there's leadership significance If you meditate on the fact that when Moses wanted his people to remember a truth about God, he implemented seasonal celebrations. Every year, you would commemorate this story with a visceral Passover meal and remove all of the leavened items from your house. In other words, you would enter the script of a play so that the theological truth about God would get into your mind and your heart and in your blood. (laughs) We don't celebrate Passover at Frontier, but the example of Moses leading his people in seasonal celebrations is why we practice seasons like Advent and why we're going to practice seasons like Lent and Pentecost in this coming year. So, um, there you have it. Moses' life followed a pattern, a blueprint. Particularly, Moses' life was devoted to five practices, scripture, solitude, Sabbath, self-denial, and the seasons. And I guess what I want us to know was that these five practices, they're not my idea. They're not Andrew's idea. 
They're not the they're not the brainchild of Frontier Church's elder team. These five practices are completely congruent with the Bible's model of transformation, even stretching all the way back into the life of Moses in the book of Exodus. These are not new life hacks. They're not trendy new theories of transformation. They're not vogue opinions on personal growth. So if you do these things, you're not doing something new. You're committing yourself. You're committing your life to a type of timeless spirituality. But what should you expect when you integrate these five practices? What should you expect when you integrate Moses' field notes into your life? So there's this newer book on the power of habits called Atomic Habits. And the authors of this book phrase the process of transformation in a really helpful way. They say, quote, habits are not miracle diets or magical bullets. And I, I should have prefaced by saying this. Um, when they talk about habits, just think about the same way that we talk about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. So they say, quote, Habits are not miracle diets or magical bullets, and they don't need to be because many of you have 70 years of life in front of you, and those of you who are older still have 20 to 30 years in front of you. So what these habits will do is reorient the ship of your life one degree north. One degree doesn't seem like a huge change. It's only one degree. But if you allow these habits to gently adjust the trajectory of your ship by even only one degree, over the course of a mile's distance, the ship will be in a totally different place than it would have with no adjustments. And if you adjust your ship by just one degree over the course of a few hundred miles, the ship will be on a totally different continent than it would have been with no adjustments, end quote. Just one degree north every day, guys. That's my best guess as to how the Moses we meet at the beginning of Exodus becomes the Moses who dies faithfully at the end of Deuteronomy. When we meet him in Exodus, he's this flighty, fidgety ex-convict who doesn't want to obey God's calling on his life. And when he dies at the end of Deuteronomy, he's this bold, faithful leader of God's people who dies after preaching blessings upon God's people. So, how will your life follow a similar trajectory? To quote the amazing boxing movie Creed, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. So how can you live and die faithfully? Adjust your life just one degree north every day. That's what the spiritual practices will do for you. I love you guys. And if you have any questions about integrating these five spiritual practices into your life, I would love to pastor you.